My dad went to Trent um, a million years ago. Nice. Having been pretty late in life, and he was there, uh, and and he loved his time in Peterborough. Um, and I I thought about going to Trent, but it didn't work out for me. But um, if you have listened to our podcast before, and if you haven't, there's no no uh, in, insult taken. But Mark uh, is from south of the border, um, but he knew about Peterborough. Um, what makes the lacrosse in Peterborough so special? Um, I don't know. I think that like it's really that uh, the people in the community that has, was already established and has been established for such a long time just kind of turns itself over. Um, like for example, uh, when I started playing lacrosse, um, what happened is my brother. I have a brother actually that went to Carleton. Um, he played on the lacrosse team there. Um, and he uh, he, he was playing. Um, so then I, I was playing, and you know, like my family is just a you know regular hardworking family, like most of the families around here. And uh, we were, I think my dad was taking us to uh, like the junior Lakers lacrosse camp, which actually still exists. And it's a couple guys on the junior team just run the lacrosse camp um and you know basically just hold it together for the local guys uh and it's you know much more established now but at that point my dad took my brother and I down and uh, we thought that it was 30 bucks for the day um for the camp and when we got there it was 30 bucks for the week so we were going to sign up for the week and then we heard it was 30 bucks for the for the summer or sorry we thought it was 30 bucks for the day and then we heard it was 30 bucks for the week and my dad said you know the, the boys will be here all summer um and then luckily for us uh the guys on the junior team at that point were john grant uh jr and tracy koleski who are obviously you know two hall of fame lacrosse players so you know then you know like young guys like us are kicking it around all day with those guys and a whole bunch of other guys who are you know hungry for lacrosse so then you know when we end up you know showing up to the beach or whoever we're playing in our zone game and you know we've had a whole bunch of guys that were playing with those guys all day all week all summer and, you know, the other guys have practiced once and are going to their game of the week. Obviously, we're going to smoke them, right? Like, that's just kind of how it works. So, and then when you're having fun with lacrosse and you're warm with it and your buddies play and your parents know about it and your friends at school know about lacrosse, then, you know, it just kind of, like, establishes itself more and turns itself over uh, more. And, you know, like I have friends from school, but a lot of my good friends are, are friends from lacrosse. And that's just kind of, you know, what we do. My dad goes to the games. He goes to, you know junior c games junior a games senior a he went to the trent games before i was even involved with the team uh you know just kind of what a lot of people and a lot of families do around here um you know lacrosse is obviously getting more expensive now but it was an extremely affordable sport for a long time um you know it's just you kind of what we do for for lack of better term i guess and you know you don't really realize until we kind of go out of the stratosphere and, and people kind of put a spotlight on Peterborough but at the same time you know I don't know anyone who's you know not proud to wear our colors or not proud to to be from Peterborough and, and do what we do. Along those lines um, I don't think it's safe to say that the South brothers are part of Peterborough Lakers lore especially a lot of man cup runs. Um, you said that Scott Self is your favorite player how come? So actually Scott Self is my mailman Um so uh yeah we I, we call him silky sometimes i'm yelling at him out of my window and he can't hear me because he has his headphones in um but yeah he's he's my mailman obviously his brother brad is uh you know uh running the team with colorado right now uh and they're super good dudes one funny story about scott actually like i was like a, a young kid just trying to stay out of trouble and he was trying to keep me out of trouble luckily 
Um, and uh, one time we got to Kitchener for a playoff game. And like, if you're a young guy like me on the team, you know, trying to get your name on the on the roster every night, you can't really have too much go wrong. So um, one time we showed up and I, I just didn't have my sticks, any of them uh, for a playoff game. And uh, he didn't say anything about it. He just gave me one of his sticks and it had monster mesh in it. And like, not that my sticks were strung good, but his definitely wasn't. And uh, it was a mess, but he didn't say anything about it. I just used one of his sticks for the playoff game and it kind of flew. So He's just a good guy. I mean, like, you know, a lot of the guys that, you know, played here and played for the Lakers and one-man cups uh, get a lot of credit and, and got a lot of points. And, you know, they're in the Hall of Fame. And it's all rightfully deserved, obviously. But a guy like him, like, I'm a D guy, and so he is more so, you know, a leader for myself. But a guy like him that just wouldn't get as much credit because what he was doing wasn't wasn't going on the scoreboard. But uh, in terms of, you know, just being an awesome guy for young guys like myself and, you know, um, being a, a local guy that we could cheer for and, you know, uh, he's just a, a, an awesome guy. So, yeah, even now, like, uh, he has time, you know, obviously the quicker he delivers the mail, the quicker he goes home, but he'll stop and talk to me for as long as I want to chat. So um, he's just a good guy. And, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what matters. Um, so, yeah, he was our captain for a long time. Um, and, yeah, that's that's why I like Scott. So you just spoke pretty highly of him. We talked to, um, or Darcy talked to a couple people that um, that you've coached along the way. And one of them, when asked to describe you, said, you know, championships, you know, and, and he kind of elaborated on that with you playing with Brock or Peterborough or uh, even coach the Bantams or taking the trend program to the finals a handful of times. Um, we also talked about your coming back from your knee injury and and playing uh, for the Rock and, and playing the Man Cup. So when you hear that and you hear that praise on you, what, what does that mean to you? What does that say to you? Um. You know, I, it's hard to put myself uh, in a like a spot like that. Like that. Like obviously, it's nice to hear that um, people are speaking highly of me. But you know, more so in a sense that they're going to keep wanting to follow my lead. It's nice that uh, you know when I I've had achievements or you know done something that's a good example that people have recognized that or kind of followed that lead. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously that's what we're striving to do. And I think that, you know, when I was a coach, especially as a younger coach, winning was super important and winning obviously is important, you know, um, and, and everyone loves to win and, and winning's not important just because that, you know, that's the score and that's what we're trying to do, but winning's important because it fosters a lot of the things that we're trying to do as coaches and a lot of the things that we're trying to do as a team. Um, so yeah, that's good. And I mean, uh, in terms of coming back from my knee injury and, you know, uh, playing for the rock and winning some championships and things like that. I, I, I didn't think too much of it. Like during the time, it's just kind of what I was doing. Um, you know, like I, I grew up playing lacrosse. I played lacrosse. I was downstairs telling my girlfriend a second ago that, um, I, my dad signed me up when I was too young to play just because he was driving my brother to the rink and I might as well play. Right. So, um, I just always known to play lacrosse and, you know, I'm 32 right now on my third right knee still playing. I just don't really know to, to quit, I guess. Um, but I didn't really think anything of it. Like I just unfortunately had some injury trouble, uh, which, you know, led to me coaching, I guess, which was a blessing in disguise. But in terms of like rehabbing that and then getting the opportunity with the, or, you know, I had the opportunity with the rock and then I hurt my knee and, you know, rehabbed it and got to play in the man cup, et cetera. But, uh, I didn't think anything of it cause I, I wanted to play in the man cup cause I wanted to just be with my buddies. Right. So people like, oh, you know, you rode the bus all summer and didn't get to play, et cetera. You know, it seems bad riding the bus with your buddies and playing cards at the back and having a couple of drinks on the way home <laughs> isn't all too bad, right? And, you know, taking warm-ups at the Mem Center uh, on Thursday nights and, you know, same thing, hanging out with my buddies. Like, it, it was a fun time. That's what I wanted to do. So it was just kind of like all that stuff was more so natural than anything. I mean, uh, you know, my parents work hard and set a good example for me, and uh, I'm lucky that way. 
Um, my dad worked super hard. He, he worked overnights to keep us in sports when he had to. Um, like I said, he always goes to the games and things like that. So like, I'm lucky that, you know, my parents uh, installed some good values in me and uh, yeah, I'm lucky to be in the position I am now, obviously, you know, coaching um, the university at my hometown um, where my family lives is kind of like a dream come true. So yeah, I'm, I'm super happy and lucky to be here, but um, a million people to thank on the way. And, and again, like I, I kind of did it cause I wanted to be with my buddies and cause my parents took me to the rink and showed me that that's what we do. And this is just kind of how it turned out. And uh, I'm super lucky to be here. And so, you know, you mentioned a lot about family uh, since being on here, when you watch your trend team play, you know, that's one of the words that comes to mind, right? Is family. It's, it seems like a really great family, family atmosphere. Um, do you guys have a defined culture there? Is it just something that's grown over time? Like, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, culture is ever evolving. I don't think that culture is linear or, you know, always goes one way. Uh, you know, it's an up and down thing that you got to continuously have your hands on. Um, and it, the way that the culture actually developed is at Trent, when I first got involved there, you know, I'm going my 10th season here. Um, when I first got involved there, uh, we were an average team. I think we were about four, six, five and five. Um, but the crew of guys was awesome and the culture of sport at that time was different. So it was more so like what I would want to call a country club, um, which isn't a knack that's, you know, on, on the team. That's just what was going on at the time. Uh, and we were good at it. Um, and you know, it was a great culture guys and the guys on our team were great buddies, uh, and they all lived in houses together. So when I got there, that was kind of, you know, the culture was good in terms of like team team. Uh, we just weren't winning games. Uh, and then uh, all of a sudden we had some talent show up on the doorstep that kind of meshed in with that uh, culture. So then it, all of a sudden it became legitimate, right? Like our culture, which at one point was a joke because we weren't winning games, was all, all of a sudden legitimized because we had talent to go with it. So when we had talent to all of a sudden go with our culture and our culture uh, guys, our, our glue guys were older guys, right? So our talent was kind of quiet and our culture guys were loud and it was a great mix and, and really built for a nice culture. And then, you know, when you're someone uh, like a new player and you get involved with something in a new team uh, or, you know, anything new, you're not going to go and act like the coach. You're not going to go and act like, you know, what's written on a sheet of paper. You're going to go and act like the other players, right? Or if it's a job, you're going to go and act like the other workers. Cause if you don't, you're at a place, right? So we've been lucky to have some awesome leaders that have really set that tone. So when we get new guys in the door, uh, you know, how can they not behave in the, in the proper way, right? So like a guy like Danny Mickle, who we got in from a transfer from Dalhousie, um, who, you know, had uh, uh, played with Rochester last year. He, he's doing well in ALL with Whippy right now. Uh, we had him as our captain for a while. And that really helped because he doesn't say crap of his mouth is full of it. He just puts his head down and works. So, you know, when your best player is doing that, and he's not going high to high, he's shooting bounce shots from the top and, and he's running as hard as he can. What are the other guys going to do, right? Like you can't, there's not a lot of wiggle room there. Um, and then, you know, right in after that, we get a guy like Nick Tchaikovsky through the door who, you know, we get him from Nipissing. He's already won MVP before. Um, he's clearly the best player in the league. And again, he just works hard. He goes to the gym all the time. He doesn't complain. He doesn't care if he shoots the ball or not. We, he would have played long pole if we asked him to. Um, so, you know, when you have guys at the top like that, it really does wonders for your culture. And it's almost, you know, like on cruise control because uh, guys that come underneath that just fit in. So um, I think that that's a big part of it. Um, you know, uh, one thing that's obviously been a challenge with COVID is, you know, no, every team, no one really knows who they are. Right. And we didn't know 
who we were coming out of COVID with the COVID season and, you know, COVID changes lots of norms and things like that. So um, obviously like culture still getting built right now and, and we'll continue to get built, right? If you guys have me on a decade from now, I'd be saying the same thing. So um, we're excited. We have a great group of leaders right now. Um, Mark, you mentioned the Conley family when, when we got on here. Um, we have Curtis here who, again, like as well those guys, like, what are you going to say? He goes to the gym all the time. He works hard. He showed up, um, you know, a talented player from Everest, um that was junior b on the fringe of junior a and uh you know in his third year he won a top long pole in the league um is up for it again um he's playing for albany in the nll so you know um a guy like that that's that gets to be part of our program and, and other guys learn from and see hey you know that could be me that's huge for our culture so um yeah culture is important and culture is something that we we always got to foster and i mean you know we can foster talent uh, but you know talent after you foster it isn't going to foster culture whereas if you foster the culture culture can kind of foster talent along on its own so you know team building is important but uh even you know in our new day and age with covid etc which hopefully we're coming out of it's been hard to like even value where are you going to put in the culture related stuff like how much value does team building have in a schedule that's been depleted time-wise um, you know, like are the regulations on how do we do, do we get together? Is team building required on Zoom now instead of in person? Because if so, you know, the value to it's gone. So, you know, I think it's kind of like a new day and age of culture and team building that we're all growing with. So um, it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be be a part of any kind of team or be a leader of a team like uh, you guys are. So, um, yeah, um, it, it's exciting. Culture is important. And uh yeah, uh, I, I don't know. We're always looking for, uh, you know, attitude. You know, we hear about a new guy. We obviously kind of know how good he is. I always ask, what's he like? You know, and, and we don't want to talk to the guys who, uh, you know, are on their uh, recruiting list. Like when they fill out a recruiting form and tell me who to call, I don't want to call that person, right? Like now in day and age, they probably paid the money. We try to find someone who knows them, but they didn't put on their list um, to kind of give us an idea, right? And I don't say, how good are they? Can they play? I said, what kind of guy is he? Like, is he going to fit in? Do we want him to be around here? Would I let him babysit my dog? You know, like that's the kind of stuff that's more important than, you know, can he play? Like if we're going to practice four or five times a week, I can teach him to play lacrosse, you know? So um, that's what, that's kind of uh, culture's value to me. We did a lot of um, culture stuff, you know, virtually um, during the various lockdowns, just as a way to, you know, Mark took the program over and then lost a year and, and we were, you know, in various lockdowns. So we found it was a good time to try and um, and do some team building that way. But um, if I, I even if I didn't push a little more on the culture stuff, only because um, the foreign players we spoke to, um, you know, had a couple of activities they thought of that were really, you know, powerful. So do you have a top two kind of team building exercises if they were in person that you like to go to and, and you feel they um, they're impactful? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I could go a couple different ways with this, um, and not to keep giving you guys run on answers, but when I was young and I, I first started doing this stuff, I would like, you know, go on and do the typical like Google type team building stuff where, you know, um, well, everyone's done the Google type team building activities, but my, I guess my favorite one like that would be, um, when you get the spaghetti and, uh, roll a tape and you ask them to get into groups and try to build the highest structure. So they have one roll of painter's tape and two boxes of spaghetti and they can do it however they want to. And they're in small groups and they get a firm time limit. So the way that they organize themselves and communicate, et cetera, who becomes the leader, all that stuff is extremely important. But to build on that, I found that kind of in my experience with team building and, and leading a bunch of teams that 
you know, maybe it's a lot more simple than that to get a lot of value out of it. And, and, you know, one thing I like to do is just, you know, get in a group and just talk to them, you know, like, do you have any brothers or sisters? What's your parents' names? You know, what's your story? Where'd you come from? Like, where your parents work? What do you do? Like, where do you work? Like, you know, like, it's more so like important to hear people's stories and try to kind of understand them in terms of, you know, building a team. Like, that's great that Darcy trusts me to give him a piggyback around some pylons. But, you know, if if he understands that, you know, who I am and where I come from, that's going to be a whole lot better in terms of me connecting with him and us trying to understand each other and move forward as a team. So I've really tried to strip it down and, and just do stuff like that, where we would go and just introduce ourselves. So what we've done is we, we take a lacrosse ball and we'll pass it around. So I'll grab a lacrosse ball and I'll say, Hey, I'm, I'm Mark Farthing from Peterborough. I'm uh, the son of Laurie and Graham, uh, brother of Jeff. Um, you know, give him a couple of details about my life and I'll just pass the lacrosse ball to the next guy. And, you know, obviously not everyone has that sort of family structure. So you can say your family's whoever you want to be. Some guys put their dog in their family. Some guys' family's just their girlfriend. It, everyone's got something else different going on, right? And that's the entire point of it. So, um, you know, I think that kind of getting into guys' lives and having those conversations and, you know, figuring out who the actual guys are that you're going to team up with rather than just being, you know, Darcy from lacrosse is, is you know, probably my favorite team building and, and what we've got the most value out of. We can fast forward a little bit. Um, last year, Pagadaway, you're in the semifinals. Um, what do you say for your for the game to your guys? Uh, I mean, we knew we were going to be in a battle, right? We lost by two. We went out to try to get the ball at the end. It kind of was what it was. Um, to, to be honest, what we actually said, we got together in a little tiny hotel breakfast room, which we probably had too many guys in, given the restrictions. Um, and we had a computers there and we were going over film. We had what, you know, what we thought was a good plan and, and we tried our best and we lost. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, obviously if you go back from any game, you do a couple things different and try something else just based on the results. But, you know, did like, obviously our plan didn't work, but you know, that doesn't mean that it wasn't the right one. It just didn't work. Um, and you know, we're, we're building on it for next year. We, you know, obviously we're calling guys, we're trying to get back there. So Oh uh, yeah, it's a tough game. Um, but you know, we're we're in the semifinals. We're there. We had an undefeated season um, until that point. So uh, yeah, we were happy to be in that game. We were happy to have the adversity. We wish we were in two goal games the entire year. So you just mentioned the the film breakdown. You know, there when when you're breaking down film against an opponent, what are the two or three things you're looking for? Like what what do you like take advantage of or see in the film or or if you just had to pick, you know, offense versus defense, what you're scouting um if i'm gonna be watching film i don't know how much of this i should be saying but um i would be like first of all drawing the power plays or like any like weird situation that is on a board for the other team i would be trying to slow down and draw myself so we can have it um i would be watching the game just as a whole to see if anything weird stands out to me like if there's any like oh that looks strange or that's a weird tendency or why did that happen and, you know, that's kind of maybe where we would expose something or, or try to change something. And then uh, just player notes. The more player notes that we can make or player tendencies, it helps for matchups. Obviously, you know, for like box across matchups are way less important than field across. Uh, but, you know, we make player notes for for matchups and then to be able to tell the matchups what's going on, uh, I think, big time. Um, and then goalie notes, like if there's anything strange about the goalie or, you know, sometimes you can tell if the team that you're already watching has well scouted the team's goalie and they're all shooting in the same spot. That's something you can mark down. Um, so, yeah, like I, I'd probably draw a net and put X's on where the goal goes in. I know there's lots of, you know, um, 
like online solutions that can do that for you now. But typically that's what I'm watching for. I'm trying to draw special plays, writing down player tendencies and just seeing if anything strange about the game stands out to me. That's that's for scouting opponents. And so, you know, when you when you're playing the game, are you are you matchup defense? Are you playing man to man against some, zone against some, have both in your pocket? Do you have a principle you believe in more than the other and that's what you do and you're kind of ride or die with it? Uh it really depends. It depends what team we got. Um, we, we, we've, we've died with zone before and we've died with man before. Um, it, it really depends. Uh, if we don't think we could match up with the other team everywhere, uh, or close to everywhere, then we would probably go zone just to avoid having to defend one-on-one matchups. Um, also it obviously depend, depends who you got in the pipes, right? Like you don't want to go into zone if your goal is not too strong, uh, because they're going to be bombing it from outside. Um, but when we did not have a strong team and we had a 500 team, uh, we lost to McGill in overtime at Trent, uh, because we zoned them the whole game and they were drawing it up on the field with gloves, uh, at halftime trying to fix it. Uh, and we almost got them. Uh, and, and if, if they did, if we did, the party might still not be over. Uh, but, um, yeah, they, uh, the, the zone, like, like there, we just athletically couldn't match up with them. So we zoned them. Um, but like right now, like we have a, a tremendous defense and, and we try to like be aggressive in some of our one-on-one matchups. Uh, so like it, it would take a lot for us to go into a zone right now. We'd have to be trying to thwart someone, thwart somebody out of a timeout or something like that. Sure. And so, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about, about Curtis and his growth there. Obviously you talked about growth, you know, depending on the year, what, what are we and, and how athletic you are now? How do you foster that growth in your athletes from the time they get there? Do you do you use your off season for more free play, or are you doing more drill based skill development? How you, how are you uh, attacking that growth with your players? Honestly, probably twofold. I'm one. I'm just trying to make them like lacrosse from the time they get here. I just want them to enjoy lacrosse, so they want to do it. That's like number one. A you know, erase the rest. That that's the only important thing. If I only had to write one thing, it's just warming them up to the game. And because if they're liking lacrosse, they're more likely to go home and restring their stick or watch some lacrosse on TV or cradle around their walls at home or talk to the lacrosse buddies and become a lacrosse guy. That's super important. Um, if they're warm to the game, they'll come to practice early. They'll stay late. They'll do the things that they need to do to get better. Um, the other thing that we try to do is just provide them as many opportunities as possible. Um, so pretty well, anyone that stuck up their hand, we got on to, uh, or try out for an ALL team. Um, we have guys on multiple teams. Uh, there's people in Peterborough on almost every NLL team that are driving to the airport or to the game. So if guys get themselves tied up into that, you know, they can have success with that. Uh, but we're just trying to flash opportunities at guys. So in the off season, uh, you know, you know, in season, obviously we're practicing four times, five times a week. Um, and then in the off season, uh, we have box across in the gym a couple times a week uh, for an hour and a half. Um, we have a partnership with a place called Hybrid Sports Performance, who a former NLL player, Josh Gillum, actually owns. Um, so it's just a high performance athlete gym that all the guys have access to. Um, and they have uh, like an app on their phone that their workouts go to. So, um, but again, if they're not warm to lacrosse and they're not excited about it, they're probably not doing the workouts either, right? So that's why it kind of feeds together. Uh, but that's another opportunity. And then we feel, you know, kind of the better that we get them uh, in, you know, those months, then, you know, maybe they're playing on a junior A team instead of a junior B team. Maybe they're on the penalty kill instead of not on the penalty kill. And if they're getting more minutes and they're doing better, 
it's going to kind of turn the cycle over again and put them in a better position to come to us in the fall. And now when we can give them more minutes and pay more attention to them, now they get even better. They're more likely to do the other stuff. They can get on with the ALL team. Now they're, you know, a top player on the junior A team looking to get drafted. So it's just a cycle of opportunity that turns itself over. And the guys that, you know, get excited about it and show up with a good attitude and hungry, um, they have great success. Um, it's middle of September. I'm lucky enough to be in the borough and I stumble across a Trent U practice. What will I see? If you came to Trent Cross practice, it depends what day you show up, to be honest. Um, if you came on Monday, you'd probably see some guys hanging out with some music on, shooting at the net. Um, maybe some guys doing some footwork at center. It's just kind of like our hangout practice. If you came on Tuesday or Wednesday, You'd see us hard at work, um, you know, guys have good energy, having fun for the first little bit. And then, you know, we get down to business. Um, and then if you came on Friday, you'd see us getting ready for the game, uh, you know, going over the X's and O's, going over the little aspects of the game, getting ready. We play almost every weekend. So, um, yeah, that's what you'd see. You'd see the lights on. You'd see the nicest stadium in Kufa. <laughs> Do you have some go-to drills, Mark, that you uh, look to teach certain concepts? You know, you mentioned Monday is, a, I want to say, a throw-around practice, but some skill-based development. Friday's your pregame, so Tuesday, Wednesday is time like the meat and potato practices. Do you have some go-to go-to drills for concepts you want to have instilled in your guys? Um, yeah, like we used to uh, do um, well. We we call it national championship, which you know, obviously we've never won yet, but we call it national championship. And what we do is just end of the game segments. So we'll just call in like, uh, you know, offense up one with two minutes left and throw the ball in and go quick. And they got to figure it out. We'll do like opposite any like low time situation. That is that drill. Uh, one drill the guys like to compete in. Uh, we do one V one and two V two war. So it's like the card game. You just get in two teams. You go one V one. If the guy scores, the guy on the defense is out. And then the, the ball goes to the other team next time. So then they'll go. So then if it's 2v2s, then both of you guys are out. And then if there's only like two guys left and the other team has 10 guys left, then those two guys will just have to go offense, defense, offense, defense till they lose to try to get the other guys. So at least that's some good compete competition. But I mean, to just try to keep guys' attention, we try to get as many, you know, drills with a score or competition or teams versus each other uh as we can just to you know keep guys going like i mean we practice four times a week five times a week we can't just be you know running them into the into the ground with drills where you're just running around cones to run around cones we try to give them a purpose give them a team try to help with our, our you know compete level our team building as well so um that's a lot of our practices is compete drills uh drills with a score um and then you know trying to figure out field across you know box across you can have a lot more flow with your practices you know fortunately unfortunately uh field across a little bit more of a chess game uh, changing gears a little bit for you personally what does an average day look like during the season and outside of the season <laughs> well i hope my main employer isn't listening to this uh but what i uh what i would do is i you know wake up in the morning and i you know i, I have an important job so i go and start work early uh, so i usually start like maybe like 7 30 or so with my normal job um, and then I would work, uh, you know, till five, five thirty. Um, and then, uh, you know, sometimes I'd have meetings at night or things that I would have to schedule around, but typically I would be done at five, five thirty for my normal job, 
we start practice at Trent, uh, depending on the day, uh, 6, 6.30, 8. So we have primetime practices. So it's not a big struggle, me trying to, you know, make that all work. Um, I have vacation if I need to take vacation to like, you know, if we have a Friday game or we're on a bus trip, I would use a vacation day to try to make that work. Uh, but then I would practice. We'd practice from, you know, two hours. So uh, get home late at night. Uh, then when I get home, I'd be probably, you know, trying to figure out like the administration side of the, uh, you know, team. Well, just being a coach, like as you guys know, being a coach uh, in Koopa is a lot more than just being a coach. You're trying to do the admin side, hold the team together, make it work with the school, everything like that. Build relationships with the guys, build relationships with the coaches, figure out what we're going to do tomorrow. So while I'm doing that, I just, you know, getting late at night and I'm probably trying to find some dinner at that point. Um, I'm lucky enough to work at home with my normal job. So, you know, I can make that kind of work. I'm not displaced to start with. So that makes getting there a little easier. Uh, but I'm lucky that way to, you know, be able to work at home and have a job that has regular hours and then coach a team that has, you know, nighttime practices. So, you know, doing that creates obviously a full day. And, you know, when we play on the weekends, a full week. But, um, you know, that's what I like to do. It doesn't really seem like work when that's, you know, my hobby at night. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what uh, kind of my day looks like in, in terms of that. I, in the fall, I, I also run a company that was doing uh, uh, lacrosse for kids. So on our off night for practice, um, we would host programming for, you know, 100 kids uh, in four different sessions. Uh, and they would come through and we just teach them skills and things. And we have uh, anyone working from me from past teammates to current Trent guys, old Trent guys, just, you know, Peter Roll lacrosse guys. So that's kind of what the night off looks or night off looks like for me. But yeah, like in season, I don't really do too much. Like I, I go from here to the field and work during the day. So we asked uh, Jason Rogers as well. Where do you see the future of Kufla going? So, we're, you know, we're all part-time coaches putting in the same kind of schedule that you're putting in. You know, what's what's next for the growth within Kufla? Is it joining the OUA? Is it trying to build out more teams? Like, what, where do you kind of see that going? Um, it's hard to say. I think that we're, like, lucky in the position that we're in at Trent. Um, the lacrosse team is one of the focus programs. We have great funding. We're treated extremely well. Um, so, like, it, it's hard for us to, you know, really know, like, what makes sense for all the teams, what makes sense for the league. Um, for us, obviously, we're looking for competitive games, competitive teams. We want more games on the schedule. Like, we want to try to legitimize Kufla as much as possible. Uh, in terms of more teams, more teams would be good, but only if more teams is going to make sense. Like, if more teams are going to be, um, you know, uh, competitive and, and you know, like, uh, like making Kufla seem like an upstanding league, then that would be awesome. Um, but, you know, I, I think that we have a good group of teams in there now. Um, so, you know, if, if an opportunity makes sense, I think that's awesome. But I don't think that we should be stretching the growth really just to just stretch it or try to extend the game. I think that we're at an awesome spot. You know, you look at the rosters, every team has great players that have played on, you know, good programs growing up, playing in great, great minor programs, playing for good junior programs you know, potentially senior programs, teams have transfer backs, like the league is extremely strong lacrosse um, from all over. So that's awesome. Uh, I mean, obviously we would love to have shot clock. So I don't know where that conversation is going to go, but hopefully, hopefully it goes there. I mean, the reason we want shot clocks, it just makes lacrosse exciting, right? Uh, like a shot, we're not going to let our take our, our guys take with no shot clock. They have to take with a shot clock. 
And then when they take a bad shot, it's transition the other way. And then when transition goes the other way, well, transition creates re- reverse transition. And now you got the cross game on your hands and guys are tired. And now your third line plays more and you know, it's a, it's a game. So like, that's why we want like, the shot clock. We just want to play the cross. Yeah. God, I hope the shot clock comes. I mean, we, <laughs> so uh, I coached the NCAA coming up here and learning the, 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 the Federation rules was, um was fun. Uh, but we're a team that invests a lot of time in riding. I believe it's such a huge, important part of the game, and, and it can really be a game changer, especially for for us trying to go from where we were to where we want to be. Right? It's a, it can help us with a big leap. But not having that clear clock, it's like we we ride our ass off for 35, 40 seconds sometimes, and and the ball just eventually gets over. You know, where if we had that shot clock, I don't know if 80 is the right number, but if you just go with the NCAA model, that 80, 80, but then you know, 20 seconds to get it across. Like that's, that's what I really want is the 20 seconds to get it across. Yeah. I just don't like how the flow of the game goes without. Um, and I mean, obviously you're trying to do anything you can to win. I just told you we zoned McGill, you know, for a whole game years ago. Um, but uh, when, you know, like a team that knows that maybe they don't have the best chance to win gets the first one or two, and then can just hold the ball in the corner that's great. And and I love sports and I love winning. So I really appreciate what they're doing, but it sucks for everybody because no one gets to play. So yeah. the D the, the lines don't get to play. No one gets to go through your D guys don't get to sub through because no one's actually D anyone up. The goalie's not getting any shots. Their defense is definitely not playing. So in terms of just the spirit and the sport of the game and why we actually showed up, it's just not good. But what are you going to do? You're the coach. You're trying to win, right? So I don't fault anyone for for when that happens. And and we've tried to put in ploys to, to win when we've been a lesser team in past. So, um, you know, it, it just is what it is. And I think that everyone would be excited to have the shot clock for the same reason. And until we get one, uh, we'll continue to play the same way. So, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, the transition game there. Are you more of an offense-defense guy? Do you like two-way middies? What are you looking for in, in, in your in your ideal perfect midfielder? It, it, it honestly depends what team we have and, and what guys we have in terms of how we're going to play. Like, I mean, right now we got Curtis Conley and Curtis Romanchuk, who are, you know, two of the best long poles, if not the two best long poles in the league. And, and their hands are outstanding. And I, I didn't check their points before I came on because I, I don't even know who our team has how many points, but um, they score all the time and they run in transition and and they make a massive difference in the game. So right now with the roster that we have, we want to push transition all the time because we have the the guys to do it. We've been lucky to have guys to do it for the last little while, but if we all of a sudden had a more stay at home defense and, you know, just had a different style of player, um, I'm not saying that makes us a worse team, but we would change how we play and just try to do more of a slow clear, get it over and kind of let the offense operate. Um, I mean, it also depends on how strong your offense is. Um, you know, if, if your offense is not strong, obviously you want to push transition, just to try to give yourself some opportunity to score. Um, but I mean, with that being said, like back to the shot clock, the shot clock comes in, you know, we're, we're happier to take riskier opportunity in transition than right now, uh, because right now, if you don't have a perfect chance, you might as well just pull it to the sidelines and, you know, start running plays or until you do. Yeah, and then trying to get guys that box across that that uh you know it doesn't have to be the first you know you know opportunity with your hands for you like wait wait for the good one right you know is uh, is kind of the mindset we're in now. Yeah, for sure, and I mean like you you watch Kufla and you won't see a lot of jams into the middle or anything like that, which a lot of times it turn to great goals or it could be a good play, but we won't even try it because why right just just yeah. spin it around you can have the ball for another ten minutes if you want to so uh, that's why we just want a shot clock again just to play the cross. 
And so, you know, switching it from field to box really quickly, you know, you hear a lot about the box concepts on the field. What do you take from your field program and, and, and try to use to improve your box coaching? Um, yeah, mostly just team stuff, you know, like you can always figure out X's and O's, like you can pop on YouTube and figure out X's and O's. Um, so I think it's more so like team stuff, how players respond, how teams respond, good ideas, good plans, X's and O's type stuff. Um, but yeah, like if, I, I don't know, in ter- like maybe some drills, but a lot of the drills aren't relatable. I think that like a lot of the coaching has to be really adapted to the, you know, the level of the group uh, and, and certainly box to field. So other than like culture and team type stuff, it's, it's hard to really take too much back and forth. Other than grassroots level, I mean, grassroots level, obviously you can, you know, transfer the fundamentals, but when you get up to a high, higher level, it's hard to transfer too much back and forth. Mark, what's your greatest success as a coach? Um, it's hard to say. Uh, you know, I, I feel good when my guys do well um, in their own personal lives. So, uh, you know, it's it's really tough to say. Like when I see guys that, you know, come and, and you know, they come and I can see by the time that they're gone. I've, I've been here long enough to see a couple of graduating years turn over. So um, I would say probably just seeing like the growth in them and, you know, like like having guys that I coach like turn into like, uh, you know, valuable young men in, in society and, and guys that are proud of themselves and, you know, f- their families are proud of them, their friends are proud of them. So, you know, guys who I've coached who, you know, have given themselves value and found value in the game and played the cross for the right reasons um, and, you know, excelled. And, you know, if I feel I've had some sort of part in that, I think that that's probably like the biggest win for me as a coach. You know, when I was young, I used to think like, oh, you know, if, if that guy doesn't want to win first and win at all costs, like that's perfect. Those are the kind of guys I beat type deal. Uh, but, you know, now I understand, obviously, there's a lot more to it and there's a lot more ways to win. So, yeah, I think that, you know, like winning, winning games is great. Winning championships is great. And it, it's in the moment. And again, it's a, a great thing about winning is it's a great tool to do the other things that we talk about. Winning brings people together. Winning, you know, brings culture together. Winning brings relationships together. Um, winning, you know, adds value to your journey and what you're doing. Um, but, you know, uh, it, you won that day. But, you know, I, I, I want people to turn into men that we can be proud of. So, you know, when we see people living valuable lives down the road um, that, you know, we know that we've had some sort of part in their journey or, you know, potentially change their trajectory at some point. I think that that's kind of like the biggest win or like the most important, you know, you win, you're excited, like you're happy with your buddies, you go out and you have a good time. But, you know, when something like that happens, you kind of get like chills or, you know, you get it here a little bit more. So, um, yeah, I think that that's more so, you know, the biggest wins is, is you know, seeing guys that have made big changes in their lives, change their trajectories and, and are living lives that they're happy with at this point. Yeah, it's funny, the, uh, the winning the games obviously feels great, but the the relationships with the people you meet and, and see their growth is what really kind of sticks with you the most. Um, you wrote that you're currently reading Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. Um, what can you take from that book to improve your coaching and your program? Um, it, it's actually kind of interesting. Like, it, Outliers is about, um, you know, outliers in terms of, like, uh, like ability, uh, success, things like that. And it kind of like explains how, how you got where, and, um, it says a lot about, you know, uh, opportunity and, you know, a lot of people like their success is based on opportunity, um, and, and being in the right spot at the right time or having the right, you know, resources available to them and things like that. So I think that things like that just kind of hits home with me and, and, you know, further, 
puts like home the point of we need to provide opportunity and not everyone's going to take it. We're not going to beat down their door to do it, but you know, to be successful and to put people on a good path, you need to provide opportunity and provide, you know, uh, situations and environment for them that, you know, could put them in front of uh, other people. Um, so, you know, a lot of times like people will see like a, a successful lacrosse player has a son that's successful and that's because they got to go to the rink all the time and play all the time. Like if you were on the Lakers uh, between, you know, 2005 and 2015, and you had a son that was in the minor system, well, after the game, you were in the dressing room for 20 minutes and then at the bar in the restaurant behind for probably an hour. So your kid was playing with all the other kids on the floor on the turf at the Mem Center thinking they were on the Lakers for like an hour, right? And they were having to peel them off the floor. So again, when they go to practice and then play against the kids that didn't have that opportunity, they're obviously going to be doing fairly well. And when they do fairly well, now people want to play them to play on better teams. They get the opportunity on the power play, right? They get a better narrative about them. So, um, you know, it's, it's about providing opportunities and just trying to, you know, lay the groundwork for people to excel. Um, Mark, we covered lots of uh, topics and uh, I want to thank you for your time and joining us. Our final question is always the same. Um, we're on a journey to become better coaches and hope to inspire others to do the same on the that journey who should we interview next um that's a good question um i i'll i'll, I'll tell you my two uh like i guess mentors of, of coaches one is matt giles who's assistant coach of the rochester nighthawks he was my coach in junior a uh when sometimes i was behaving as i shouldn't be uh, and he took good care of me and uh, he was also my coach uh, in Sealax for a long time. Uh, and he stuck up for a lot of what we were doing and he understood us uh, and he treated us like men. Uh, and he was our leader uh, when he wanted to be and when he didn't want to be. Um, and, you know, I could call him right now and he'd pick up and, and do whatever I asked him to. So, you know, having someone like that in your life is super important. So he was awesome. And then Jeff McKinley, who is the guy who, uh, one of the guys who started the Trent Lacrosse program, um, he had to stop coaching uh, after 12 seasons because he just had his third kid and he's also the athletic director at a high school in town um so he's quite a busy guy but he was an awesome mentor for me in terms of you know i was full of piss and vinegar and and thought i knew how lacrosse worked and uh, you know he knew how teams worked and and how respect worked and being mature and and really kind of you know uh sanded my edges down for me so um yeah he he was awesome as well so either of those guys would be uh a terrific interview for you uh you know i think that jeff mckinley probably have some trent war stories for for you from uh, back in the day and uh matt giles has been through the ringer I, I don't know if anyone's been picked in more expansion drafts than he has uh he's coached at every level uh amazing dude i'm not sure if he played in ottawa when we had the rebel i think he might have been on the team for one year that i'm not 100 sure on that one but he might have been yeah, uh, he's a great guy. If you guys got him on, he'd have a good chat. Awesome, yeah, Mark. He did. I, I just Googled it. He was the uh, the Rebel player of the game on forward one day. There you go. <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. I, I apologize for so many run-on sentences and talking about things they didn't even ask me about, but I, I appreciate you talking shot with me. No, it was great, Mark. Thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. It's uh, an interview we've to do for a while, so hopefully we'll uh, – See you next year if we go back to two divisions and uh, and, and get a chance to, uh, to meet in person. We'll have a big meal waiting for you. Call, text me, email me anytime, guys. Sounds good. See you, Mark. All Cheers. right, man. Take care. Have a good night. I thought that was a great interview for, for, for me to hear, you know. And I remember when we first took over Carlton, um, or I guess you weren't there right away. It took me 
seven months or so to, to, to convince you, but, uh, or to convince Martha maybe, but, um, you know, I think, uh, Trent was where we were when he took over, you know, a very, a lot of similarities. Um, you know, I know Peterborough's got the history, but we've got a great thing going here in Ottawa with all of our teams and, and within the Ottawa region as well, down in Cornwall and Aquasasne and places that are close by. And you hear a lot of people in, in Kufa talk about recruiting and recruiting is important, but you know, the, the best way to recruit we're seeing with our guys that are starting to sign up for next year, it's, it's, they've heard about our culture. You know, it's a culture that they want to be a part of. It's, we've given them the opportunity to see that by, by them coming to games or by, you know, me just sharing game film with them. You know, we, we wasn't the point of it, but we were filming games and you can hear everything that our bench is saying the entire game. And you can hear everything the other benches are saying the entire game. And when I, I used to just share out clips to recruits when I was playing in the States and coaching the States and, you know, I share the full game and I say, listen to our bench, listen to their bench, you know, and I don't just mean us as coaches, our players and how we support each other and how we, we handle things respectfully and how we get hyped when there's, you know, when there's goals and we're into it. And especially if you watch Carlton game two years ago, you just love the guys. They're all the guys that are still on the team now. Right. But you just didn't see that. And the, 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 the players would be the first ones to tell you that. And I think that's, um, that's the way to do it in my opinion. Well, lots of things I could say there. First of all, you know, you got to stop talking about a seven-month-long uh, uh, recruiting process. I, I, I can't. I can't. I can't do that. Yeah. Um, you know, I just heard, like, in his voice the time and energy that he puts into it. And, um, you know, he, he talked about culture being organic and how much it changes and it'll continue to, to grow and change. And if we interview him again in 10 years, it'll be probably – you know, very different than it is right now, right? But um, he had a couple of really good kind of quotes or things that he said, and and one of them was, um, you know, culture breeds talent, and and talent breeds culture. Or did I butcher that one, Mark? You butchered it. He said, uh, "Culture of uh, talent can uh, talent won't foster culture, but culture can foster talent." Right. So right there, you know, we know that right now Trent has a really strong program and um, and they're doing quite well. But we also know that when he took it over, like you said there, they weren't um, super successful. Um, and I, I think the biggest thing um, that I heard the way I linked these two together is he talked about, um, you know, the concepts he takes from field to box. And I know you were wishing for some more technical, um, you know, concepts, but I. I agree with him in the fact that it's the team building component that we don't see in box as much. And, you know, it's a shorter season um, or it's the the way it's structured in, in the arenas and we just show up and we do our practices and our games and we leave. I mean, that's that's the way that lots of people have experienced box across for years. Um, but fundamentally, that isn't a good way to build team culture and team dynamics. And we know that. Um, you know, and, and field programs do a much better job of um, having centers and individual skill work and, and the practice plan that goes into to field lacrosse is much different than box lacrosse. But it also allows you to have that time to build that strong team cohesion that you need. And so um, I, I frankly agree with Mark in in what he said, because I've taken lots of things from my time, you know, working with you at Carleton that I'm going to implement uh, coaching junior, but um, 
I think one of the biggest things was, you know, the building of the team, the team structure, uh, the accountability and and the culture you're able to build through that um, intensity of the season and the amount of time you spend together and how you, you know, really are intentional about <laughs> the way people are interacting, right? Yeah, I think that, you know, building a team – what do we always say? What does every coach on every interview ever say, right? They say, I want to use sports as a way to teach life skills. I want to use, you know, and we've had a lot of great guests come on and talk about culture, you know, but, you know, one thing that does strike me is, is, is the Peterborough culture and how that's kind of a line. Like he mentioned Peterborough's culture and Peterborough, you know, how many times, you know, I mean, a, a bunch in there. And, um, you know, probably some that we're going to edit out. Right. You know, that's how many he that's how many times he, he, he mentioned it. But it it resides. And the culture of lacrosse there is 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 good and it's healthy. Um, and and you can see that manifest itself in the trend program. But you can see a lot of what Mark has brought and added to that. Right. So that Peterborough culture of of winning and development and getting better and, and all that. And how he's really taken that, taken the, the the best parts of that culture and added his own element to it. And he talked about, you know, his mentor, uh, who was the former coach there, who, you know, you know, knew, you know, I knew the same about stick skills or about about lacrosse. But he taught me how to how to be a man and how to be a coach, you know, and I think that's, you know, um, you know, I, I maybe it's much easier to do in the field game. I don't know because it's a different atmosphere. It is. Um, I know that when I go to you know on a tangent here, but when I step on the box, or I, I have guys that I coach with here that say you're a different field coach than you are a box coach. You know, you're a different attitude, different whatever. And and I don't try to be. I don't mean to be. But the sports are different. You know, and they they can bring out different sides of your of your character. Um, but the core things that I do, the EAA, the, you know, uh, control the controllables and everything that we talk about um, is the same on the box side. And I think that's really given, you know, the teams that I coach, albeit their minor programs, you know, a big leg up, you know, this season in the in the season. But also, like he said, you know, later in life and watch them grow up to be uh, to be good humans. It's funny you ask um, someone from Orangeville, what's the Orangeville culture? Why are they so successful? You know. Oh, you're from Peterborough. Why is Peterborough so successful? Um, I think there's different reasons, but fundamentally, both people will say, well, you know, I don't know. Uh, we just love lacrosse and we play lots of lacrosse and we're bought in and and everyone has an understanding of the mean, meaningfulness of the game um, and we're all part of it. And and um, those are you know amazing things to to foster and and to strive for, uh, but they take a long time to build. <laughs> <laughs> um so you know i just thought of that in terms of the the comparison between the two a very successful long-term history of both programs right i love when i asked him that question though what is it your greatest success as a coach and he said um you know it's just seeing the development of people down the road right and i had an interview recently and one of the questions was what was your what's your greatest success as a coach and i said something that perhaps fit the interview more. But what I really wanted to say was going 0-7 at Carlton and having every single kid show up to practice every single time, never being late, and being 100% bought in. Like, how hard is that to not win a game in a COVID year 
you know, and yet everyone was completely bought in. And, um, you know, obviously, I would like to think that for some of them, it was tough not seeing a victory. But I also feel pretty strong in that, you know, they enjoyed their time and they walked away with a positive experience, even if they didn't win a game. Um, and man, that's got to be a great success as a coach. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, I have goosebumps thinking about it. I think about, I talked to Evan. Um, Evan Perry, uh, all Canadian defender we had this year. And, uh, you know, he just talked like in seven years and six years, when we get to, I fully believe we'll be where Trent is in six years, you know, and, and when we get there, you know, Evan is going to be, and, and all the guys on our team are going to be just as much a part of that, if not more um uh you know a reason for us getting there right you know and and seven years from now when they come back they're going to tell that story to our players you know and that's going to live on and, and that you know what it takes as a coach and what it takes as a player um to to stand for whatever you define as a culture is really really hard um I used to say like it's it's coaching's an easy thing to do, but but it's not like because it's all about about sticking to what you believe in and getting your players to buy into that. And then when your players buy into it, it's about them being leaders and sticking to what they believe in. And and he mentioned it with the with the high performance center or his version of the high performance center, right? You know, you know when you have a great culture and everyone loves lacrosse then the chances of them getting better in the weight room, you know, goes up significantly. And, and I don't know, you know, I, you know, I, I know how successful we're going to be in seven years. And I know the groundwork that we laid this year as, as coaches um, and, and the legacy that our leading seniors are going to leave behind without ever having winning a game is huge. And it's, it's, it's great to know that as a coach, but it's even great to hear that from your your outgoing Hall Canadian who wanted to leave, who, who left Carlton with never winning a game. Unfortunately, that's the the program that we took over. And for him to leave happy, and for him to leave excited about the future, and and already talking about helping to to run alumni events next year is um is huge. And I'm probably gonna edit. Mark was worried about Ryan's sentences. I'm gonna edit a bunch of that out. But you know, it's just uh, you know, it's as you can tell, it's hard to put into words. It's hard to put into words how that how that feels as a coach. We talked about standards, Mark, and I think um, you know we've had these conversations about many different players and many different situations, and you know um, we're running off season stuff for junior, right? And um, I'm sending the guys a practice plan before practice because I think it's uh, something of value. They can understand what's happening. We're wasting less time explaining drills, and they know what's coming next. Um, you know, and I have given some pop quizzes, what's the next drill? And, and some of them know, um, you know, and, and some of them actually even commented, oh, you didn't write a diagram for this drill. I guess that's so-and-so's drill, not your drill, right, coach? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, one of the standards is also be on time. Um, and I listened to Mark Messier's book recently. Um, I always think those story, you know, autobiography books are better as audio books. But anyway, so I listened to his book. And he talked about being a young pro and showing up late to practice and or missing practices. And 
ah, what was the big deal? You know, and later on, he thought, you know, what I was doing is I was showing my teammates that my time was more valuable than theirs. And uh, I was creating a hierarchy um, or not even a hierarchy, but just telling them that, you know, I don't value the way I value myself. And how can we be a team if we don't value each other equally? Um, and so, you know, I know, you know, I've already talked about this uh, offline, but um, I had interaction last weekend with a few players um, who were given a few warnings, uh, you know, be on time. This is the expectation. Be here at this time. Be ready. Um, and they showed up at the time they're supposed to be ready at with their gear and their backpack or their bag. I mean, and I said, well, do you have a reason for being here at this time? And they said, no. I said, OK, well. You know, you're going to go home then. And one of the other coaches looked at me, is that really what you want to do? And I said, well, what's the point of having standards if we're not going to maintain them? You know, and having philosophies. And um, it was challenging, you know, and after I, I was in contact with all of them and, and said, hey, you know, this is the reasons why. And, and we, we, you know, hashed it a little bit. But I think they understand the reasons behind it. But along lines of philosophy, I know you and I both believe in free play quite a bit. And, um, you know, in the practices, we want to have uh, ability for odd end situations and free play and and players to solve problems on their own, right? Um, but one thing that Mark talked a lot about was, you know, competitiveness and providing opportunities for, you know, intensity and practice. And one of the games to camp was that, that card game. Uh, well, not card game, but the way you phrased it was the card game war, right? Um what would you take from that? Like, is there something you can take from that from your for your Pee Wee team this year that you have an opinion, or you would try and take next year to to Carlton? Yeah, I think um, you know it's it's another reason why I do love his question and the way he answered, as you said at the beginning, the question about what you take from field to box. But to me, that's a field drill at heart because it doesn't matter what hand you are; you're supposed to be able to go both ways, and you don't have to roll the ball to a certain area, all that, right? But it's also a drill that you can take right into the box. It's a high rep drill where players are playing offense and defense every time. Um, and, and it's just, it's, it's going to give your players, your 15 players on minor in a seven to eight minute span, um, each about 20 to 25 touches and competition at the same time, you know, and, you know, it's not one that you're going to be too worried about saying stay on the same side of the floor or anything like that. But you are going to ask them to do that at times, you know, and to make sure they're doing that or, or knowing. All right. So you get out there and you're in a bit of a chaotic drill. You're on your you're, you're on your you're, you're all, not on your strong side. Go set a pick the other way. Right. You know, and, and it gives them a chance to, uh, to 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 figure that out and to begin to figure those concepts out that you want them to get. Um, you know, the other thing, too from that drill that I think you can definitely take in the box is, you know, you can do that on, on, on two sides of the rink, you know, and you can get that. So you're talking 20, 25 touches, not the same seven, eight minutes, it's 50 touches, you know? And I think, um, you know, one thing I picked up from when your practice that I was at, which was, you know, you were having the guys on the right hand side and their left hand side, you know, working through their early shooting and passing progressions. And when it was time to switch the drill, they're sprinting down to the other side and they're doing the same, you know, the next progression on the other side of the floor and they're getting that, that full force sprinting. And, you know, I also see that as a valuable thing you can do with, with that trip, you know, so great. You do your two V two battle here, you lose no problem. 
we're going to kick the ball out to you. You're going to run transition the other way and shoot on the goalie on the other side. You know, it gets cardio in. It gets them push the ball in transition. Or or they've got a sub to the bench if you're going, you know, off the you – know, there's lots of different ways we can input how we want to play and the structure of how we're going to play um, on the backside of that drill as well. Sometimes I feel like we want to have, like, a perfect practice. You know, it has to look good. Everyone is flowing between drills and small-sided games. But um, sometimes there's lots of value in a very messy practice where it's scrambly and um, some of the drills you're doing are intentionally uh, difficult to work through. They don't look perfect because the game is not perfect. And I think as coaches sometimes you want to have the perfect practice. But – that's not a reality. Um, so it's important to have some drills that are kind of chaotic. And I, I really believe in that. Um, at times, that's something that I butt other people about. But, um, you know, uh, like, again, <laughs> I heard from a, an older coach once, the game's not perfect. That's why you play it, right? And so I think that's, uh, you know, you bring your game into your practice because what's the point of practicing if it's not going to simulate as much as possible of your game? Yeah, and I, I structure my practices on the on the you know box side the same way I structure them in field, which I, I always try to stick by four cores. You've got your um, your athletic development as as the first chunk of that, right? You've got your teaching as a chunk of that. You've got your just technical development, stick seals or whatever. And I, I like those usually to be within the flow of our offense, at least. So they're kind of learning two things at once. And then you've got your small sided games portion. You know, and I, I think that's the recipe and you know, it's it's changed or it's grown a little bit throughout the years. And, and, you know, especially during field, a lot of times you have to at certain times put those things aside. But at the minor level, you know, you know, in the middle of the field season, you might be putting that athletic development on the side so you can spend a little more time on your zone defense or whatever it might be. But in box where there's not that 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 heavy gameplay, you know, matchup based stuff, you know, it really gives you a chance to stick to those four things. And. You know, the more chaotic you're, I don't like a, a well-structured practice in that way. Like the more chaotic it can be at times. Like my favorite drill in all of lacrosse is West Jenny. My second favorite drill is the double-sided fast break. We call it fast break frenzy, right? Where the ball's going both ways. The goalie's got to, you know, outlet the ball, turn and get ready for the fast break. You know, if there's a drop pass, there's a fake face-off going through and they're pushing the fast break from the face-off. And it's super chaotic. And the first time you run it, it looks like dog shit, right? And then as the guys figure it out and as they get better and better and better at it, it can flow super, super well, you know? And I think that that benefits us at times this season, you know, or in seasons, you know, in the future where our guys are just going to be able to slow that pace down midway through the chaotic fourth quarter where they're trying to get there. And we didn't win the U Ottawa game, but we're down by two with a minute and 50 seconds left. We win the face off. We get a timeout. The play we drew up was, was shot from minute go. We worked the ball around and scored. We kept our composure. We come back, we win the next face off. We push it down. We get it to the guy we want. He loses the ball. We ride hard. Or no, we get a shot. We get it the guy we want. Yorkie takes a shot. Stick high to stick high. and uh, But we ride awesome. We get the ball back. We come down. We swing it back. Reedy drives. You know, good check by the Ottawa defender. 
uh, loses the ball, and we get it back again in the ride, right? We didn't win the game, but we got three opportunities because we were a lot better in chaotic situations than New Ottawa was. And I really think it goes back to to those those times of chaos and those small-sided games that we put together, and it's why – you know, next year we're going to do more of those and not less of those. A little less of the, the matchup-based team stuff and a little more of that. You're laughing now because you know I probably won't do that, but there you go. No, I'm actually laughing at something else. You know, we started – so for those of you listening out there, you know, all five of you, um, it's <laughs> March here in uh, Ottawa and the snow's starting to melt and we're all getting excited about box season. We started this podcast uh, roughly 10 months ago and Mark has only me- mentioned West Jenny once. So this is number two, and I just no, can't believe three times. Okay, we saw, well, we saw so West I can remember. That's how much I love the drill. I'll stop. Go ahead. <laughs> so the three times you mentioned the drill in ten months, you know, I mean, I, I just think that's incredible. Of all things, you know, you talked uh, in the beginning of the podcast with Mark that how much you edit yourself from the normal length of your conversation. So, uh, congrats to you, my friend. I wanted to bring up West Channing tonight with him. I was waiting for a good time to to bring it in there. Well, thank you, Mark, for joining us. It was a great conversation, and uh, we really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a lot of fast, quick hitters. One of our previous guests said he listened to podcasts at one and a half speed. Maybe this one you want to listen to at 0.75 speed, <laughs> just to to catch some of the, um, you know, the uh, the golden nuggets that uh, that Mark was dropping. So uh, thanks again to Mark, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Absolutely. All right. Cheers.